0: Uh, Let's ask God to help us now uh, with his word. Our gracious uh, heavenly father, we pray in your great mercy uh, that this morning we would hear Jesus speak to us, uh, that we would know that the words of the gospel are the words of our Lord Jesus. And gracious father, we pray uh, that we would believe what he says and believing him find life. And help me now to speak your word truthfully and clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Some of you, as you listened uh, to that reading, hopefully might have been a little shocked by Jesus' unfashionable and presumptuous clarity. As Jesus comes to finish his teaching of the disciples on what it means to follow him, what responding to the gospel he preaches means, Jesus used unfashionably exclusive binary language. Did you hear it? Only two ways, the narrow and the broad. Only two builders, the wise and the foolish, or one or the other. Only two outcomes, life and destruction. Jesus is clear, and he's clear because he wants his listeners, you and I, today. To know where we stand, in which camp we are, what eternity awaits us. And if you're shocked by Jesus' clarity into grappling with the question of whether Jesus has the authority to make these claims, that's good. Like the jolt of the defibrillator, this is a shock that might save your life. But others of us, Well we're sitting here and we're thinking we've heard this before and so we're in danger of being so familiar and comfortable with what Jesus says that we might miss the opportunity Jesus gives us to check whether we are on the right way, the way to life, whether we're building what will withstand the storm and to miss that opportunity would be bad, it would be a shame For Jesus isn't talking here to outsiders, but as you heard, to insiders, people who say, Lord, Lord, people who, like us this morning, are listening to his word. Enter by the narrow gate, says our Lord, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Jesus characterises the way people can respond to his teaching with a picture. A picture of people travelling through life on two very different paths. One, as it were, a paved highway. The other, a goat track to a mountain village. These two ways are distinguished by their character, company and destination. One has a narrow entrance. You have to be intentional to get onto it. And it's hard, a word that can have the sense both of narrowed, but also of being oppressed or afflicted. So this is a difficult and at times painful way to go. But the other way, that's easy to get onto. It's got a wide gate and the way is spacious and accommodating. No pressure there. And there are a few on the narrow way. It's a lonely path while you'll always have company on the broad road. But the most striking difference between the two is their destination. The narrow, hard way leads to life. And Jesus means eternal life, life in God's kingdom at peace with God. But the broad way leads to destruction. What Jesus calls in other places the eternal fire or eternal punishment. So what's at stake on the way you travel upon is eternal life. Or eternal death. The narrow, the hard way is short term difficulty and hazard for eternal gain. The broad way is short term ease and popularity for eternal loss. As Jesus comes to the end of his teaching, Jesus is asking his hearers, he's actually asking us, which road are you on? What will your destination be? And what becomes clear in these concluding verses is that what determines what way you're on is how you're responding to Jesus. The hard, narrow way is the way of commitment to follow Jesus by doing what he says. This hard way can be entered only one way, through repentance and faith in Jesus, saying, Jesus is the boss, I'm not the boss. And we walk along it each day by denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. But the broad way is the path of ignoring Jesus to live to please yourself, pursuing what you want, taking your direction from any but Jesus. And it's easy to get on the broad way. And there'll be lots of company there, says our Lord, but its end is destruction. And hearing Jesus say that should actually make you think this morning, which way am I on? Where am I headed? Because if you believe what Jesus says, you will want to get off the broad way. For no matter what experiences you have along the way, no matter how many good parties you have, you know, places you see, destruction is a dreadful end. And the life Jesus offers, so much better. And as you're thinking about it, note Jesus' warning. Wanting to be popular in with the crowd can destroy you. You see, to be a follower, well, you must take what is at times the lonely road. And I know that can be hard. It can be hard at school to be the kid left out, made fun of. But it can be hard to be the person left out, ostracised at work. It can be hard. But only one way leads to life. And the approval of the crowd is not just fleeting and fickle. It will never keep you from destruction. But it's not just wanting to be popular that can derail us on our journey to life, prevent us from getting to our destination. Jesus says there will be false prophets seeking a place amongst his followers. And it's not just false teachers, but false prophets. You see, a prophet is someone who claims to speak God's word, someone who claims to speak with the authority of God himself. And so it's a fearful thing to go against a prophet, and prophetic authority is therefore one that can be easily abused for selfish gain. Jesus says that these false prophets will try and appear like one of the flock. They'll be in sheep's clothing. They'll be like one of Jesus' followers on the outside, being intentionally deceptive. For their inner reality is that they're there to satisfy themselves, satisfy their appetites at the cost of the lives of the sheep. Now, this warning against false prophets is made repeatedly in Scripture and the references are in the outline. And it's not an empty warning. False prophets were present in the Old Testament, present in the early church throughout history. And today, think of some recent examples. Well, recent in church history terms, Joseph Smith who founded the Mormons, or Mary Baker Eddy, who founded Christians the Scientists? More, more recent, some of you won't know that, but Del Agnew was a, a prophet operating in evangelical circles, the Tinker-Taylor sect in Sydney last century. But we don't have to go back that far, do we? Think of the people who prophesied Donald Trump's victory. There are false prophets around. And these false prophets look the same on the outside. Because they're deliberately taking on a disguise. But if that's the case, if they're using the right words and phrases, being in the right places, how can we spot a false prophet? Well, Jesus says it's by their fruit. By their fruit you'll know them because fruit is true to type. You'll recognise them by their fruits: So grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. Fruit unerringly reveals the kind of tree from which it comes. And the ESV is actually not helpful in going on here and describing trees as either healthy or diseased. The word translated healthy can also mean uh, good, good morally, sound and wholesome. Jesus is saying a good tree bears good fruit. And the word translated diseased can also mean bad, unwholesome. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And you see, that's the point. Jesus is talking about the type, not the condition of the tree. Fruit is always true to type. It reveals the kind of tree from which it comes. And Jesus is saying fruit, someone's observable words and actions and the outcome of their words and actions developing over time reveals the kind of person they are. Now that's true for all of us. Good hearts, hearts given to trusting and obeying the Lord Jesus bear good fruit. Bad hearts, hearts given to pleasing self and obeying its own desires bear bad fruit. But Jesus is saying we must apply this truth particularly to those claiming to be prophets, to speak from God. The greatness of their claim to speak from God means they should be subject to greater, more searching scrutiny. Don't just listen to their words, he's saying. You should do that, but look at their behaviour, look at the outcome of their ministry in their lives and the lives of those who listen to them. And as you do that, remember, fruit takes time to develop. You may not be able to tell what kind of person, what kind of tree they are, at a first hearing. And so, brothers and sisters, to be safe, to be not taken in, firstly, you have to be in a position to examine the fruit of those who claim to be prophets, who claim to speak from God. And you may have done this uh, over the lockdown, but listening to internet preachers may well put you at a disadvantage in relation to testing their fruit especially if they're in their own ministries and they're trying to solicit your dollars, they will control the flow of information to you, what you can know about them. Following preachers and prophets on the internet, you're just setting yourself up to be deceived. If the person you're listening to is ministering in a normal church setting, Well, that's more reliable. There are the normal safeguards and the greater scrutiny and the greater exposure over time in the one context. So you've got to make sure you're in a position to examine the fruit of those you're listening to. And secondly, to be safe, you you have to actually believe Jesus. Bad fruit, a bad tree destined for destruction. But people make excuses for those they think are spiritual. You might have heard them. People say, Oh, these people are so far above us. They're so close to God. Their experience, their spiritual experience is so much more intense. Oh, they can't be judged by ordinary standards. And you know, that kind of exceptionalism is encouraged by these false prophets. You may have heard Benny Hinn, when criticised, saying, Touch not the Lord's anointed. Don't get conned. Trust Jesus. The simple test. By their fruit, you will know them. You know, that would have protected Joseph's, people from Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormons, who was sexually immoral with multiple women. And it would protect you from the likes of Benny Hinn and Kenneth Copeland, whose worldliness, whose love of money and deceit is obvious. So if there's a good, short sure test of whether someone's a false prophet, why are people taken in? Why might you? be taken in. Well it's because false prophets tell people what they want to hear. The roots of our being deceived lies in our own hearts. So for example, in Jeremiah's day, the false prophets were saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. But people listened and rejected Jeremiah's preaching of judgment. They listened because they wanted to believe there would be peace, peace without repentance from their idolatry, and they listened to their own destruction. In the first century church of Thyatira, Revelation 2, the false prophet was teaching, verse 20, my servants to practise sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. That is, these prophets, this was teaching them that they didn't need to be different or not too different from their pagan neighbours, they could share in their idolatry, share in their sexual immorality. They didn't need to separate themselves from the larger society in which they lived in terms of idolatry and sexual morality. And, well, that made their lives so much easier, didn't it? They wanted to believe it. And today, well, they're these false prophets telling people what they want to hear. You can pursue what your neighbours pursue. You don't need to be different. You can pursue, well, health or wealth or sexual fulfilment or political power, just like the society in which you live. You can make the narrow way much more like the broad way. But Jesus says... These false prophets telling you what you want to hear will destroy you. So who are you listening to? Listening to those who are telling you what you want to hear that will support your worldliness or your desires? Or are you listening to Jesus and making your judgments on whether someone is sent by God on the basis of Jesus' word, on the conformity of their life and teaching to Jesus' teaching? You see, the fruit that should be seen from the ministry of a prophet is turning people from sin to their saviour, promoting the obedience of disciples in denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following him. As Jeremiah said of the false prophets of his day, if they had stood in my council, then they would have proclaimed my words to my people and they would have turned them from their evil way and from the evil of their deeds. As you journey on the narrow way, listening to false prophets taking direction from them will destroy you. So be vigilant and discerning. But it's not just believing the lies others tell you that can mean you never come to your destination, never come to life. Now, recognise Jesus is talking about people in the in crowd, isn't he? These are people who call Jesus Lord. And they're people with great spiritual experiences to boast of. Prophecy, casting out demons, mighty works. All done in Jesus' name, that is, on his behalf, on his mission. But, says our Lord, they were using those experiences as a substitute for genuine obedience a substitute for doing the will of my Father who is in heaven. With all that charismatic activity they were, says Jesus, still workers of lawlessness. Now note the authority Jesus claims. He accepts being called Lord and he says he is the one who utters the final judgment on our lives. He gives the verdict, workers of lawlessness. He pronounces the sentence depart from me. Now, are you surprised that people who prophesy, cast out demons, do mighty works, are you surprised that they could be excluded at the last day? Well, I tell you, if you aren't, they were and they will be. So what was their problem? Listen again. Did not we Did not we prophesy? Did not we cast out demons? Did not we do mighty works? You see, on that day, the day of judgment, they are looking to self, relying on what they had done. But the Father's will starts with repentance and faith in Jesus, with responding to the gospel. And so it starts with turning away from relying on self and what we have done, turning away from relying on ourselves to acknowledge our need, that we are poor in spirit, beggars before God, and our only hope is in his mercy. Now, that life of repentance and faith that in Jesus that starts with the believing in the gospel then issues in a commitment to take direction from Jesus, to live the life that practices a righteousness greater than the scribes and the Pharisees, that fulfils the law and the prophets. You see, those crying, Lord, Lord, are no doubt impressed by Jesus and his power. But there was no poverty of spirit. They were pointing to what they had done for Jesus as a reason why Jesus should let them in. They weren't relying on what Jesus had done for them. And that reliance on self also showed in the way they lived. They they continued not doing the Father's will, not governed by Jesus' teaching that fulfilled the law. They continued taking direction from themselves, living lawless lives. And so they were claiming to be followers of Jesus on their own terms, not his. And Jesus says those who follow him on their own terms are no followers of his at all. You see, as believers, we can have all kinds of experiences, but we only ever have one basis for confidence on the last day, and that is that we are known by Jesus, we are called by Jesus, we are found in him. In Paul's words, in Philippians 3, that we are willing to suffer the loss of all things, including those things that conferred spiritual privilege. We're willing to suffer the loss of all those things. That in his words, verse 8, I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. See, on the last day, our hope is not relying on our own actions or activity or righteousness, but on Jesus' work for us and his righteousness. And in him, relying on his righteousness... We then live the life that does the Father's will, that becomes like him in his death, saying to the Father every day, not my will but yours be done. So Jesus is asking his audience, those who say they're his followers, who are you trusting? Are you looking to your experiences for assurance of welcome on the last day? placing your confidence in what you have done, what you have done for Jesus? Or are you looking to the Lord and what he has done and living each day the life of depending on him, the life of daily repentance and faith, relying on religious or charismatic experiences and not giving yourself to the will of the Father, not giving yourself to the life of righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, can lead you to being shut out forever. And so Jesus comes to his final encouragement to embrace life by relying on him, by following him. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. Again, he's addressing those in the in-group, those who have gathered to hear Jesus' words. Then it was the disciples and the crowds. This morning it is us, people who gather to hear his word week by week. And Jesus tells a story to illustrate the difference between two kinds of hearers and the consequences of that difference. So there are those, firstly, those who hear and do. And it is, by the way, hearing and doing. It's not a once-off. Hearing and doing is something that we do all our lives, that we never stop listening and never stop putting what we hear into practice. So he's talking about those who are hearing and doing. They pay attention, they make the effort, they bear the cost of treading the narrow way and they enter where they must, responding to the gospel call by repenting, turning back to God and saying God's King Jesus is now in charge of their lives. That's where listening to Jesus and doing what he says starts. But it doesn't finish there. They go on living by Jesus' word. The words that, well, we've just heard in this sermon. They go on to be people whose yes is yes and no is no, who don't lust after others, who turn away from anger, who are committed to loving their enemies, who forgive, who relate to God their Father in secret, not to impress others, who serve God, not money. They go on living by Jesus' word. And in doing that, says our Lord, they are building what will last because they're building on a sure foundation, the foundation of Jesus' trustworthiness. That's the foundation that withstands the rising flood water, the power of the storm. And haven't we seen in these recent New South Wales storms how powerful and sudden that flood can be? The wise build to last because they're building on the right foundation. But then there are those who hear and don't do. Could be you this morning. Just forget. Or you're not really paying attention. You're sitting there thinking about lunch or what you'd rather be doing, like the footy. Or or they reckon it's just too much work to think through their life and make the changes needed. They just prefer to get on with what they want without the fuss of thinking about what Jesus says or maybe they're sitting there you're thinking you know better you know you admire Jesus you reckon he's good to listen to but in your head you're saying let's face it sometimes he's just out of touch with reality loving your enemies <laughs> you know they're sitting there and listening appreciating Jesus but actually they're still in charge and they've decided that their own judgments and desires are a better guide for living They're foolish. They build on an untrustworthy foundation, the sand of their own judgment and rule, or the teaching of others that suit them. And when the storm comes, what they built, like sand, just easily washed away. It all goes. Now, we're not told exactly what constitutes the rain and flood, how the foundation we build upon will be tested. It may include the trials of life, the sicknesses or loss of work or relationship failures that show how easily that what we put our trust in, relied upon, can be taken away in a moment. But Jesus definitely has in mind the testing of the last day, the trial of judgment and death that awaits us all. On that day, even though the wise and the foolish were both engaged in the same activity, both building their lives and both done it with the same energy and application, their labour will have a completely different outcome. The work of the wise will endure and the foolish will lose it all. And so hearing that, ask yourself, which builder am I? As I sit here this morning, am I wise or foolish? Are you trusting in yourself or trusting in Jesus to guide and direct you through life by his word so that what you put your effort into has enduring fruit so that you're building what will last? Now, as you're asking yourself that question, wise or foolish, it's actually not hard to tell. Just look at your life and then at Jesus' teaching Who is directing the character you're developing, the choices you're making, the things you're pursuing? Is it your own desires or Jesus' words? Are you living with God as your father, depending on him, seeking to please him by listening to his son? Or are you living ignoring God, trying hard not to think of him, right? Keeping him out of your life with just a token token here or there like coming to church on Sunday. What are you wise or foolish? Well with that story Jesus finishes his teaching and his teaching has an impact on the crowds. The crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. And that's right, Jesus has taught differently to the official teachers, the scribes, who are always supporting their teaching and judgments by reference to one another. Jesus, by contrast, taught with authority. He expected people to believe and do what he said just because he said it. And the crowds got it right. Jesus does teach with self-conscious authority, doesn't he? Think of what we've heard over the last few weeks. He commands people to respond to his gospel preaching. Repent. Oh, yes, it's an invitation, but it's also a command. Oh, Jesus pronounces a blessing in this sermon on those persecuted for following him. They're now in the same class as the prophets, God's prophets. Jesus puts his word alongside the command of God. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, but I say to you. And as we've heard this morning, Jesus pronounces the last judgment, determines who, he says he determines who gets into the kingdom of God and that responding to him, he says, makes the difference, all the difference, between a life that will count for eternity and one that's gone forever wasted. Jesus is making a big claim to authority, the authority of God. And it's an authority that Jesus will go on to demonstrate in his ministry as you'll hear over the next few weeks as Clinton goes through Matthew 8 and 9. He'll cast out demons with a word. He'll restore wholeness with a word or a touch. And when he's challenged about forgiving the sins of the paralytic man, he says, which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and went home. Jesus taught with authority. Jesus demonstrated his authority. And in the Gospel story, we see his claim to authority is resented and challenged by his enemies. And in the end, it provokes his crucifixion. For the religious authorities, their determination to put him to death is their rejection of his claim to authority. And his crucifixion is for them the demonstration of the emptiness of that claim, a demonstration of complete lack of authority of Jesus' powerlessness. But they don't have the last word on Jesus' authority. God raises Jesus from the dead. And that is a vindication of Jesus' authority and a revelation of its extent. The risen Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Raised from the dead, Jesus is revealed now as having all authority. And that's authority over you and I. Authority to judge and forgive, to give life or to send to eternal punishment. And that means that Jesus' shocking words that you've heard this morning, that there are only two ways, and only two kinds of builder, have authority. So you are hearing this morning the words of the one who will judge you at the last day. On that day, your response Your answers to the questions he's asking you in his word this morning will be revealed and your eternity will be determined by those answers. That's right, isn't it? That day will reveal which road you've been walking on, the narrow hard way or the broad. It'll reveal who you are listening to, Jesus or liars. It'll reveal who you've been trusting, Jesus or yourself. It'll reveal whether you were wise because you listened and did or foolish because you sat here and then ignored Jesus, dismissed what he taught. Now, I hope you feel the weight of that this morning. You should feel the weight of that. You are listening to the one who will judge you at the last day. The words Jesus has spoken that you've heard will determine your eternity. And as you feel that seriousness, don't lose the wonder of what you've heard. Because you've also heard Jesus say that in a world where all must die and face judgment, there is a way to life to eternal life, that in a world where all our achievements are vanity, are missed, unable to be held on, to, lost in death, well Jesus says there is an opportunity to build what will last by listening to him and doing what he says, and as you sit there this morning, realize. There is also time to change. In his kindness, Jesus is speaking to you now while there is still time. And you can always change the path that you're on. At every point of the Broadway, the narrow gate is always there. You can enter through it by repentance and faith in Jesus, by saying Jesus speaks the truth and I'm going to stop being in charge of my own life and turn to him. I'm going to stop trusting self and start trusting Jesus. I'm going to start to build on the solid foundation. You know, you can do that today. Now, maybe some of you are sensing the importance of what Jesus has been saying, of what you've been hearing, but you're not sure. You don't know enough about him. Don't know. You're not certain about his resurrection. You need time to think. Well, you should decide to find out more, to think more about what you've heard by getting to know more about Jesus. And you can do that by reading A Life of Jesus. And the Christianity Explore course, it was advertised that starts on the 27th, will help you do that. It's reading through A Life of Jesus and asking questions about what you've read. And, And you can ask questions about what you've read. And if you know Jesus' words are serious but you're not sure you should make sure because there's all the difference in the world between life and destruction. So if that's you, enrol in Christianity Explored. Eternity is worth investing time in now. But maybe some of you have heard what Jesus has said today and you want to start on that new way, the way to life. You recognise that up to now, you have not been wise, that you've been living foolishly, just going along with the crowd, doing what pleases you. Maybe you've even been sitting here listening week by week, hearing but not doing, instead ignoring and forgetting. But today you're actually convicted that life is found in listening to Jesus and doing what he says and you want that life not the destruction you know you deserve. Or perhaps, here this morning, you recognise that even though you've been around churches a while, you've actually been trusting in your own experiences and not been living Jesus' way, that over time you've allowed lust or dishonesty or pride to take up residence in your heart. You've got a notional commitment, but it's no longer real. Or perhaps you've been listening this morning and recognise that you've been listening to people whose fruits show that they've been false prophets, that you've let yourself been drawn away to desire other things, wealth or power or health, drawn away from the life of a follower of Jesus. If any of those describe you, well, you should act now. You should repent now. Confess your sin, ask for forgiveness, ask for the Lord to give you strength and grace to live His way. You should act. To not act would be to show that you are foolish. And you can talk with God here and now. And I'll leave space at the end in my prayer for that space for you to talk to God. But it would be a terrible shame to hear and be convicted and not act and know that by that Jesus has pronounced you foolish. But perhaps these are familiar words that you've taken to heart over many years and you know your feet are continuing on the narrow way. Well, if that's you, hear your Saviour's encouraging words. Don't be unsettled by not being part of the majority. Walking with the crowd was never the way of life. God's judgment was never determined by a popular vote. Don't be unsettled. Keep on being alert for liars, testing them by Jesus' truth. Keep your trust in Jesus and what he has done for you, not in your Christian experience or on What in God's mercy you've been able to do in His service. Keep your trust in Him and His death for your sin and His faithfulness to His people. And so be like Paul, who relying on Jesus' righteousness says he forgets what is behind and presses on to the goal. The goal he calls the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That day, when our Lord will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body, will welcome us into the presence of his Father forever. Be like Paul and keep listening and doing because as we all know, that great testing is still to come for us all. But those who live the the wise life, the life that's in touch with reality, the life of listening to Jesus and doing what he says. They can look forward to that day for Jesus has authority. He has all authority. And he says that those who have built their life on his word will find on that day that they have not laboured in vain. They will endure the flood of judgment. They will come to life and life forever. Let's pray. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, uh, we just pray for one thing in your mercy. Uh, We pray that each of us would know today that we have heard Jesus speak to us. And that his words are the words of the one who has all authority, the risen king, the one who can judge and forgive. Our Father, convict us of the truth of Jesus' word. Help us to walk on the narrow path, the path of repentance and faith, saying Jesus is the boss and trusting him. Help us to hold fast to the truth. Help us to always have our trust in what Christ has done for us. And please sustain us in being wise. And gracious Father, convicted by the truth, we come to you now uh, with our own thoughts and prayers our own confession and desire for mercy. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help us not uh, to be people who leave here and forget. Uh, We pray in your mercy that this word, this word of our Lord to us, this word that would point us to and bring us to eternal life, would take deep root in our hearts. And from this point on, we would be wise, those who hear and do. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.